Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Topical, Topical Talkology. And today's a rather special occasion because we're actually celebrating our first anniversary of having started these podcasts, which originally started off as original chat, and um, then we decided to turn it into a podcast because the content that we were coming out with sometimes was actually quite deep for just a normal coffee conversation. So we had to justify it somehow by actually recording it and actually make it sound more just as clever as we are when we're actually having a conversation of for posterity mm? for posterity Abs- good, good morning and happy anniversary good morning happy anniversary on that one so that's really good so anyway so today's topical talkology and, and it's something that has been creeping up in the news because we are in May people are taking their exams soon and uh, some people are going to go to university and some people are going to decide that they're going to go to work after their A levels and here's the thing is the further education or higher education actually worth the investment these days well that's the problem isn't it we're talking about private are we well any public university is, is a minimum charge of 9,000 a year so mm-hmm. by the time a student has gone to university and they've uh, then have to live um, live within the uh, campus or outside the campus um, by the time they're coming out of university, they're already coming out with about a £50,000 debt at least. Gosh, I mean, where's the equality in that? It well, it's, it, and, and, and here's the thing. I don't think if you actually become bankrupt, that debt goes away. Mm. So it, it's almost one way in where the, let's call it the establishment, um, is looking to control you by keeping you in debt. Do you think that's... Probably one of the reasons why it's 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 definitely not a good vote winner, is it? And and again, where is the equality? Because of course, when you and I were at university, we uh, we we got grants and we didn't pay for the education. Well, maybe maybe you did, I didn't. I had to do it the hard way. I went to evening classes to get my postgraduate, and I had to pay for that. Well, that was my choice, um, but I, I, the the opportunity was available to me. But circumstances have changed. I mean, you know, universities can't rely now on um, they can't rely now on free education because this is what was happening. It was the so, in, particularly in the baby boomer generation, that would then be passed on to. So you've gone to university; it's free, and ultimately, it's the workers later on down the line who actually pick up the tab for that. In some ways, now what you are what you're actually saying is, well, we're not really asking to pick up the tab; we're asking to pay up front for your education rather than pay for pay for it later on in life. And the difficulty is, of course, that they, they that removes equality of opportunity, doesn't it? Because those who can afford it will will pay for it directly, and those who can't will be will be saddled with a, a huge debt well, for it, the rest it, of their working life. That's right, but it's interesting how you're focusing on the equality, and I'm focusing on is it a worth return on investment? Because is it a return on investment? Because let's face it, two-thirds of students that are actually coming out of university who are going into jobs, they're actually going into jobs they're overqualified for. 
so because it's not just about one thing it's not just about your ability it's about how marketable you are it's about do you fit into the company brand do you actually have the right connections um, and it could have very it could very well be your parents I mean there's a few people who've probably gone to the PricewaterhouseCoopers of this world whose uh, parents are probably partners in a, another well-established accountancy firm and, and, that's how, and that's how they bounce it around um, so there's a number of variables that actually make up as to when someone comes out of university you know in some ways it could actually be academic um, I mean look at Stephen Hawkins I mean let's face it they in, in some ways they almost like had to they looked after him for so many years even though he was in a wheelchair and he couldn't speak because of his motor neurons disease because his brain was so valuable to contribute to society well I mean the simple fact is it, it used to be worth going to university because university guaranteed you a job uh, and therefore you you immediately got onto the career ladder and you were and as long as you put in the work uh, and you were diligent you were going to go ahead in life whereas nowadays of course university it, what's what's happened is because because people are having to pay for it then universities have done everything they can to expand their places uh, dropped their entry requirements and suddenly you have a complete deluge of people going to university with the university scooping up all the tuition fees uh, and now of course the, the there's this uh, there's this uh, issue of economic infla- of educational inflation in other words a university degree really counts for nothing anymore really unless you're doing a, a vocation such as law such as medicine maybe even accountancy um, uh, apart from that it means nothing and then you have to start going to do masters and PhDs and MBAs and then MBAs have have, uh, have lost their true value anyway it, it actually yeah it, it's a good it's a good one because there was a guy in there's a guy in an American t- um, he's in an t- American TV presenter and he actually drew up this question I think his name's Tucker Carlson or something like this mm-hmm. and um he, he, he's on Fox News and one of the things he actually did say particularly about the American educational system although I suspect that it's also quite um, synchronetic with what's actually happening over here as well is that people are having to pay more to go to university each time but what happens is the, 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 the degree passes are actually getting easier in other words people are actually coming out with higher more qualifications yet um, the, it's only in effect is actually just to get more money into the system so they're making compromises on the standard of the education to do that which is why uh, companies are having to take a lot of things into account and, vari- you know, and all the variables and, and here's another thing I've always, and I've always said this and, I, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm um, I've actually I've omitted it from my from my upcoming book actually, um, but particularly that university it should be an apprenticeship for what you're going to do in life. You know, if you're going to do a history degree, for example, unless you are going to become a historian and become a history professor or or history teacher or something like this, it absolutely has no value in the corporate marketplace if you're not going to utilise it. Which means, I believe, you've wasted two years of your life getting a degree just to have a piece of paper where you're not going to actually use it so it is a, it is two years of knowledge that you've wasted on a subject matter that you're not going to utilize well not necessarily because because some firms will you know will give you on the job training but they want evidence of someone who's who 
shows an ability to have discipline and stick well, to things not and looking, achieve. But, but, but a lot of companies now are actually not even looking to recruit people from university mm. because if they're going to have to train them up themselves, why not train them up at 18? Why, have to, why train them up at 23 or 21 or something or 22? Correct, and those, those are the more forward-thinking companies. And the same goes, that, and, and there's, of course, a ripple effect back to school because now, nowadays, of course, everyone... Where, where you and I were taking our A-levels, three C's was, was considered pretty good. Now three A-stars is considered the minimum. So if you want to get into a, you know, a good level university. And here's another thing about the equality thing that you were talking about. It also depends what university you actually go to because, um, as you know, I, I talk a lot about status and hierarchy and things like this in, in, in my subject matter. And... What university does give you, if you want to go into a professional environment, it does give you status. It does give you evidence of your capabilities and and and, um, and abilities. And I've and, I, and I've said that. But on it needs the, to be the right university. But it's it? got to be the right university. Mm. So if you go to Oxford, so you go to Oxford and Cambridge, yeah, you're probably almost assured of a job because what's such a big brand name behind you on your CV. That's always going to get you through the door. Then if you went to some small universities no one ever heard of so Russell Group universities do actually uh, attract more or people who have gone to, uni- to Russell Group or Ivy League if you're listening from the States universities do attract to attract more people from the workplace because they see you as having um, that extra ability because you've actually had to get there in the first place um, but saying that and I've totally lost my thread on where I was going to say here so maybe you can jump well, there is in. A status. There is a status issue, of course, because because one of the most important things in life is to is to have an innate positive thinking instilled into you. And if you do go to uh, some of the upper private schools, St Paul's, Harrow, Eton, Rugby, uh, and then you go on to one of the top universities, Oxford, Cambridge, Imperial, these. You, you get imbued with an expectation that you will do well in life and that has been shown to help you get through life in other words if bad things happen to you you will expect yourself to get through them whereas if that hasn't been instilled in you if bad things happen to you you don't expect to get through them and so you don't do as well so it's not just the physical education that you get and it's the sense of grooming for success in your life well we've always talked about plus the contact and, and, and plus the contact said, well, if you go to these places and absolutely and as I said before there's a lot of variables so if you go to a, um, a a strong university with a good reputation that you've actually heard you know that you've got um, that's got a brand name for example you, you know you are going to develop connections which are highly important if you actually want to move forward um, so you're expanding your network you are recognised. Your status has improved because of your of where you've actually been to, and you've actually gone through that. You already, you, you will, have, and, and let's face it, you will have to gone through some sort of strenuous type of selection process to get there. And as I said, unless your father was a professor at Cambridge or Oxford or whatever, or, or, or some places like that, who can probably get you into the back door. But you know what? Well, we may say it's unequal. That's the that's the you know that's the that's the world and that's the, and that's the game and that's the game we play. I mean you know nepotism is part of life, um, and, and we can get pissed off with it or we can just sort of accept it and actually learn to play by our own rules in some ways, which or start changing the rules if you actually want to do that. But 
one of the things that I wanted to talk about in terms of the content that you actually learn, look, I think your universities are very outdated with what they're teaching you. And this is why it's not a good return on investment. As I said, I see it as an apprenticeship. And what you're learning is very much sitting there amassing theory, amassing knowledge. Now, in this day and age, you can go onto Google and probably pr- and pick up several several um, bits of information on a, t- on, on a subject matter, which, is ca- which can be fairly accurate. Some of it's not, but some of it's fairly accurate. So you don't really need to actually have all that information. And universities probably also almost need to be going down an, an experiential route mm. where actually they're practically applying it because I know that there's training companies in Australia which are following like a 70-30-10 rule where they're only giving you 10% of content um, 70% is actually doing it in terms of um, experientially and the other 20% is actually based on coaching and feedback which is ultimately where the, which is probably the biggest chunk of where you're actually getting your your expertise or, or you're developing your subject matter in. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? Um, again, that sounds very sensible. The I mean, well, you're a doctor. Well, you, you we haven't we haven't talked about we haven't talked about the fact that uh, there's the, the the mix of students, have we? We haven't talked about the fact that more and more ladies are going to university. And, and right now, for instance, there are more female medical students than there are male. Uh, we also haven't talked about the fact that universities are hotbeds for um, neo-Marxist and, and the identity police either. Actually, it's a very good question. I, I don't think... Is it as prevalent here as it is in the States? I mean, um, I know, I know Bar- Bar- Berkeley, but I think Berkeley University um, in California has always been very much a very left-wing establishment. And even when they get right-wing speakers in there, um, they will genuinely protest so they don't have them. So they're not really actually quite open-minded to actually having a long-term point of view. So it, it's, it's very... It's a, it's a, I'm in two minds here, because students between the age of like about 14 and 21 are looking to find their identity. They're looking to where they fit in. So, um, I can't remember what book I read it in, I'm afraid. But they were talking about between the years of naught and seven is the imprinting stage of your life. And um, the Jesuits' priests even said, give me a child until the age of seven and I'll give you the man. And then between seven and 14 is the conditioning stage, which is, guess what, when we go through the school system. So in some ways you could actually argue is, are schools there developing us into leaders or they're just developing us into conformists to be workers? And, and I suppose that's a whole other subject matter altogether. And I, I suppose it depends on where you go to school, because some schools actually are grooming you for leadership. So the more elite schools will groom you for leadership, whereas some of the more state schools, were, because they're having to deal with larger numbers, they're expecting you to conform to the system, conform to becoming a taxpayer, conform to going through that process, because, you know, they want their, you know, they don't. They can't have too many chiefs. They just want mm-hmm. a lot of Indians. And that's something that isn't in the statistics because the, st- the current statistics are: it doesn't matter what type of your school you go to, whether it's uh, state or private. What matters is the individual's dedication to study in terms of getting into university. 
Look, there's there's a lot there's lots of there's a lot of things you know. As I said, we, we talk about variables, but there's a lot to look into here. Everybody's got a different learning style. I mean, the thing is, if you're an auditory type uh, learner, school is, is you know school is such an advantage for you. If you are a very kinesthetic style learner, you you are you are going to struggle with that, which is why people with ADHD. Um, will always probably struggle sitting in a classroom. Mm. Um, you're asking them to be quiet for one hour, you know, for a, let's say a one hour class. I can't remember how classes are long in an hour, it's been so long. But imagine them sitting there for one hour class, listening to some boring content that's got no life, it's got no soul to it, um, and, it just, and, it's, and it's just um, monotone so all the way So let's go through. back for a second. Let's go back for a second to what you said, which is universities are, are the place where young minds start trying to figure out where they fit in in life and, and in their career path and their life path and relationships and so on. Maybe that is the main function of university then. Not to groom you for um, for your career, but to actually give you an opportunity to round out your attitude to life and to learn about yeah, it. Yeah, but funny enough, in this book I read, oh God, I, I wish I could remember the bloody name. You actually, after you've gone to 21 years old, you, it's almost like you revert back to the values that had that you were between seven and seven and 14 after when you were conditioned in that in that environment. Because obviously you're influenced by your parents, you're influenced by your environment and those sort of things. Between the ages of that 14 and 21 years old, this is when you go through those teenage years, you become a rebel. You start, you, you're going against everything, you're going against everything. This is where, cause you're, you're testing, looking, you're, you're test, testing. You're testing the waters, looking where the boundaries are, testing our own identity. So in some ways, and, and this is where it, you know, it concerns me like places in America, that the environment can be so aggressive and particularly left wing um, actually a lot of students go left wing when they go to university um, I found it's got too easy though that's the problem so so you, you, you've got you've got that you've got the you've got the snowflakes because because it's too easy to get your A-levels all the standards have been dropped people try not to offend you even the teachers try not to offend you so you're, you're left there and you, 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 you've never really been taught how to deal with challenges and failures in life. And that's one of the big problems in university. It's, it, and thinking about it, it is um, increasingly a, a, uh, a fertile ground for the identity police. Plus, if you have people now who are being saddled with huge debts, that's going to make them feel even more resentful and angry. And therefore... Uh, and therefore jealous of those who are already getting ahead in life because because the the leftist philosophy is those who are ahead have swiped the advantage and therefore that's need correct. to be deposed and that's one thing actually there's one thing we've also omitted from this that most people who go into the teaching vocation are genuinely um, i think statistically are, are, are left wing are, are left wing anyway so if you are going to university in particular and you are in, and because if you those who can't do it teach it those who can't do it teach it but not not only but not, not everyone though but not only that the thing is when you actually give someone a podium to speak from same for politicians by the way it, it is but you give someone a podium to speak on and they give you some facts which you can't dispute and they, and then they caveat that that fact with their own opinions your brain's going to automatically say well if he's if, if he's if he is saying oh sorry i say he if they are saying 
this, which I believe to be true, then whatever he says thereafter must be true as well. And, it's, and he, he's got to go to... The, they've got, I say he, I'm not saying that. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of my own lecturer, by the way, so you'll have to excuse me there. But uh, as, soon as, as soon as they start seeding their own opinions into that, because... You, it's known as the halo effect because you've assumed that one or three or one, two or three things are true, then the other things you you take an assumption that they must be true it's as how, well. It's how con men operate. Mm. They tell you they, they, they tell you they tell you a half truth, therefore you assume that the rest of it is going to be true when he's lying. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and because the brain the, sometimes the brain can't work fast enough. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, uh, and it's known as the hypnotic language pattern, pattern is you'll say something along the lines of. You know the fact that you are here mean you know the fact that we are in a cafe means that we that we that we are hungry all right so the the fact is that we are here yes that is a fact that we are here um so I'll be hungry well because we are here and that's a fact then I'm going to assume that I must be hungry. So by saying it so fast, the brain can't compute that and can't process that quick enough, so we accept the answer. Or hungry for knowledge in this case. Or hungry for knowledge. And I'm giving it to you, yeah. Yeah, so, so in, in that respect, it, it can be very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole system can be quite manipulative. It's not designed to create leaders. It's look, because, I mean, the, the ones who become leaders and successful are the mavericks. You know, the Richard Bransons. Now, we could go into other, other criteria as to what Richard Branson is. I mean, you said he was a bit of a sociopath. Was there a sociopath, you believed? Um, was I, it I Richard Branson? I haven't made up my Branson? mind about him. I um, haven't made up my mind totally about him. But uh, I, the, he, he does... Uh, I'm not going to say anything at the moment, actually, because I can't remember the examples that I No, no, no. Of. I don't even think it was Richard Branson. Because, I mean, the, if you look at some of the characteristics of someone like Richard Branson, who went to school... Um, he went, you know, and, and he had a very good education. He had a very good advantage, but he was heavily dyslexic. And his, I think his headmaster on his last day at school said, you're either going to end up in prison or you're going to be, become a millionaire. And obviously we actually know where he is now. Well, you see, what, what's interesting is, is the, what makes you successful are two things, creativity and conscientiousness and diligence with an ability to stick to things. The, the, but what they haven't been able to do is to figure out a connection between what makes people both creative and conscientious. And and what's really interesting... Okay, do you want to... Exp- I mean, I know what conscientious means because that comes from the big client personality. Sticks, it means who's someone who sticks to things and follow things through. All right, so you're talking about... It's, it's about in other words, what you're talking about is the balance between the left brain and the right brain. So the left brain being quite detailed and structured, and the right brain being quite creative. So Sorry, I'm not, we're looking to simplify ability, this for you for, for the years. But, and, and of course what's interesting is uh, Picasso said that uh, children are natural artists, but, the, but of course you forget how to do it when you're an adult. And what, they, what they've also done studies, and they, they asked two groups of people, one of them to, to do something creative, well, both of them to do something creative, but half of them were asked to imagine they were a child. And the half that were asked to be, imagine they were children were found to be more creative. Now, what's also interesting is the, they also found that uh, the jazz musicians, when they're jamming, when they're being creative, they manage to inhibit the activity of their frontal lobes so the frontal lobe is your executive function it's your it's, it's your predictor of the future 
predictor of the consequence of your actions and therefore makes you sanitizes you for society shall we say and that's what dumbs down our creativity I've got to say, I've got to say though Theo I mean jazz really Hang I mean I've got to say Hang it's on one of those things that should never be so, created so the, so w- so Therefore, as, as our frontal lobes develop, it damps down our creativity. But we can, we can reverse learn, as, as in fact these jazz musicians do. Now, the, what's really interesting is that people with ADHD, they are creative. And, and I think this is, one, this, is one of the, this is why people have not been able to link creativity with persistence. Because people who have ADHD are unable or have great difficulty to be persistent because they are spontaneous and have difficulty concentrating if they're not interested in something. So they will they will jump around between topics, they'll tend to lose things, they might not be focusing on you when you're speaking. Unless they're intensely interested in something, then they can do it. Why? Because ADHD people lack dopamine and that's what makes it difficult to concentrate and if you enjoy something your dopamine goes up so you can concentrate if you don't enjoy something your dopamine doesn't go up so you can't so the missing link between creativity and conscientiousness is probably most creative people have have a mild form or varying degrees of ADHD and it's therefore very hard for those people to be persistent. You, you know, actually, you, you bring up an interesting question on things like that, particularly in the learning environment, because you are taught to be an individual, and yet we are in the, we are individuals. Um, you know, um, and I was and I was saying, before, uh, actually, I said to my wife yesterday, people buy people before they buy the products. Mm-hmm. All right, but then I go, actually, I went one step further, and I says, people don't just buy people; people buy people who other people are buying. So it's in, which in effect is a social proof of what the marketplace is actually looking for. If they you know, so if you go and buy a book on Amazon, you, you will really look at a book review first of all before you decide to to, to decide to actually form an opinion as whether the, uh, a, a decision as to whether you're going to buy it or not based on how many stars the book has, or how, or whether you actually go to uh, you know on look on Netflix or whatever before you actually go and watch something. But the thing is. People think, oh, I'm a creator, I'm not detailed, or vice versa. There's a simple solution. Sometimes, providing you find the right partner, if you're going to go out on your own in this world, don't get two creative people together. You've got to actually get the balance for both. So find out what the flaws are. Um, some things you're going to have to do. But if you actually think of someone like Apple, I mean, Steve Wozniak was very much the... Um, um, I would say, well, he, he was... He was a detail behind Apple, I suppose, and the coding. And Steve Jobs was the creative side. Now, we could go down another road because we were going to talk about we were going to we were going to talk about smart drugs today. Mm-hmm. But he attributed LSD as one of the three most important times of his life. Um, that may have given him that. And we also talked about if you know Lord of the Rings, which meant uh, was that really done on a clear head? So there's there's elements of how creative you are and how detailed you are and the thing is if if one is actually conflicting with the other then maybe it's actually worth that you actually find a partner who's got the same values as you but very much actually has a different skill set that they can bring to the table that's spot on and that's exactly what 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 i what i tell my clients if they're in a in a business venture with someone Uh, but the difficulty you have then is you have the driver the person who actually does the work and the detail starts feeling resentful because the creative person has done most of the work at the beginning 
and and then you do run into problems. So they they need to value each other equally because with, without both, then they wouldn't be happening. And I think that's actually what happened with Steve Jobs and, and Wozniak, wasn't it? Because mm. Wozniak actually left with. Um, oh, I think he sold his shares or something, or he left with very few shares because there was a conflict between the two. I mean, Steve Jobs was the face, but I mean, if you look at someone like Wozniak, for example, he's big, he's fat, he's not particularly tele telemarketable is the best way I can describe it, whereas Steve Jobs was. Um, and the thing is, a lot of that coming from the other side is probably ego and not being able to handle that, rather than actually being able to sort of accept some things and then do some other things about it. And if you're not willing to, then Steve, you know, because Steve Jobs did a lot of work. I mean, he wasn't the most likable fellow in the world, and we've talked about this before. Um, in fact, he, you know, not many people liked him. Mm-hmm. But, he didn't, but he didn't really care about that, and he accepted who he was uh, and, and fulfilled what he wanted to do. Would you say that? Absolutely. But he, did he, he went to university, didn't he? I have no idea. I mean, same with Jeff Bezos. He went to Princeton. Right. Bezos. Bezos? Bezos? Bezos. Be- yeah. Eh? Bezos. Um, yeah, he, I don't know why I say Bezos. But he went to, he he went to he, Princeton he, University. There has been a resurgence in, the in, in interest in psychedelic drugs for research. Well, magic mushrooms is something that's come up. In the, magic mushrooms, the LSD, ecstasy. Um, I don't, I don't, there's I don't been a lot of, of interest in these things, and 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 of course, back in the in the in the early. Did they learn all this at university. They experienced this at university. <laughs> university. All the time. Well, they, they, of course, a lot of people did in the sixties. You're you're right, but back in the early twentieth century, there 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 was quite a lot of research done on these things, uh, and uh, and unfortunately, what started happening was in the sixties. Um, they they started selling these things on the street and started abusing, so they made illegal. So they stopped the research. But recently, there's been a resurgence of research, and what's what's um, what people are looking at is treating depression with microdosing with magic mushrooms, uh, treating post-traumatic stress disorder with uh, with again with with these um, psychedelics, treating uh, addictions with these psychedelics. And there's all, all sorts of uh, all sorts of theories by which they say they work. Well, it's, it's interesting because I mean, you talk about you know we talk about people with ADHD, and uh, people for ADHD they get they get given Ritalin in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't cocaine a more natural substance? Amphetamine. Well, indeed. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies can't profit from that. Uh, we're going into but, different debates here. I mean, they're, they're illegal, know, obviously. marijuana. And I remember, mean, now we're talking about drugs. We're not licensed to give medical advice. No, here. no, 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 but, no, no. But thinking about it, all these uh, the, there's all sorts of theories by which these uh, these psychedelics work. Um, now, of course, there's 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 a couple of different types. So there's MDMA, which is effectively amphetamine. Um, and then there's the the other ones the the classical psychedelics such as LSD magic mushrooms and they they do work differently so the the magic mushrooms and LSD what they do is they they increase they increase your serotonin and they they actually damp down uh, what's called glutaminergic drive in the brain and and therefore reduce potentially inflammation similar to something called ketamine and and What's interesting is whether you're treating someone for uh, trauma, whether you're treating someone for addictions, uh, even whether you're treating someone for depression, depending on how you treat them. If you give them a standard dose, they all say the same thing. They say, I suddenly realized everything was okay with the world and I, I got infused with a sense of well-being. Uh, 
and and then then the more, the more intellectual people will say well well certainly the classical psychedelics reduce the activity in the default mode network which is which is a part of the brain where you you've got entrenched negative thinking patterns and it frees the brain to to think again uh, but it doesn't explain why um, mdma works which doesn't interfere with the default mode network and i think what it is is like a reverse post-traumatic stress these studies are done obviously in very controlled environments and they always hasten to say don't try this at home because they combine it with therapy so what they do is if you have an intense sense of euphoria which you then link with your immediate environment any thought that you were about you immediately change your association with the thought and if you have an intensely positive feeling about it then you decide that everything's going to be fine with it and it becomes a sense of spiritualism in a way so for instance the one of the co-founders of alcoholics anonymous bill w he was he was a recurrent alcoholic and he was just about to give up when he heard of something called the belladonna cure and of course belladonna is another hallucinogen and when he when he it he he had this intense spiritual euphoria when he decided that everything was going to be okay with the world he never touched alcohol again and he set up alcoholics anonymous very much on spiritual grounds giving yourself up to higher power um reciting things be, uh, being together as a group very structured and therefore one could say that religion is is the euphoria of the masses without having yeah, to take in without having to take any illicit drugs i thought we'd have a religion free week but actually <laughs> while you're on it i mean because the thing is you're talking about the um native american indian shamans and in, in the South American Indians, in some ways, they um, they did ayahuasca. Yes. Which, um, in fact, actually, I only found out the other day. I thought ayahuasca came from one place. Apparently, the the combination of, of what makes ayahuasca has come from two different sources, from two mm. different ways. Yet, someone's actually managed to put the two together and uh, and, and created what was and, ayahuasca. And the and the oracle in uh, of Delphi in uh, in Greece was was said to be sitting above uh, rocks through which there was these fumes coming which which made them go high again and have their so, hallucinations so it's interesting because considering that we only use 10 percent of our brain at any one time let's see people say we only use 10 percent of brain we use 10 percent of our brain at any one time but there is so much stuff in our unconscious mind that we can't tap into and this is what i suppose these hallucinogenic drugs t- do I mean, as i said jkk jk i think it's one of them that all you do is you just go you have an intense feeling of euphoria Bear in mind that longer-term dosing of, of these things uh, has been shown to cause neuronal depletion, and so effectively you do damage your brain. Um, the other question that people may have if they, if they listen to this is some people say, well, they haven't talked about microdosing. Now, microdosing is where you take many amounts of the stuff, uh, and that does seem to work differently in terms of it, because obviously you don't get the intense euphoric effect, but you just get a mildly feel-good feeling, and that must be maintained you you if you stop it if you stop the microdosing which is one every fourth day then you do have a relapse and you mustn't take too much otherwise you might get an unpleasant trippy effect remember this is illegal or too often or, or you'll become ind- addicted yeah this is too this is illegal and we're not giving medical advice but if anyone was wondering about the two types of use of psychedelics is microdosing and the bigger doses yeah and it's still under active research and we still need to do further trials. 
Or pay 50 grand and go to university and you'll find out anyway. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> Which is probably. So, in that, in that respect, um, okay, so we've covered a lot of things. And this is, I suppose, we've probably experienced most of it, or, or some of us have experienced these things. Not, you know, I haven't. I've never, I've never taken any form of hallucinogenics um, ever. Um, although the ayahuasca thing does intrigue me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I was going to do it, I'd probably want to go to somewhere like Peru and do it well the best research the, sorry to remember but the best researched at the moment is ketamine and uh, ketamine is is, is, tranquilizers. is seriously researched and uh, it's been shown to be very effective for post-traumatic stress and depression single dosage really okay mm. I, as I said I, I wouldn't know um, I don't I mean I don't I'm, look I have to take I have to take some some very but it's not licensed for that pharma- pharma- yeah it's not you have to take very I take very few pharmaceuticals um, and it's not through a matter of personal choice um, but I believe that you should always look for a holistic remedy first before you can even consider going down the pharmaceutical oh absolutely you, one shouldn't jump into it I mean for instance there was this uh, we've talked about it before so we'll just brush on it again yeah. but there was there was a nature article uh, saying that antidepressants really do work and they even re- re- grade them in terms of efficacy and saying that because they work so well then more of them should be prescribed which of course missed the whole point yeah. that society yes is becoming more depressed and stressed and anxious and yes by 2020 depression will be the second biggest killer second only to uh, heart, heart problems but we have to think about why people are getting more depressed and stressed and the, the reason is that they are unhappy they're not necessarily clinically depressed and it is it is a it is a social political problem actually and this is where i want to bring it back to university actually Mm -hmm. um in terms of what we are actually teaching our kids and and actually there's one thing i'll probably cover before i go on to the onto the subject matter is just because you think that um you, you can go onto Google and see some advice on, on taking hallucinogenics or any form of, of self-medicated drugs that, that, that are available even on the black market. You know, I, I probably think twice about it. I mean, half the stuff gets cut when you don't know what crap gets put into it. And secondly, if you don't know what you're doing, you can probably do yourself more harm than good. So, you know, in, in some ways, I'd probably say it is probably worth going and seeing an expert um, like a doctor. Um, who can actually probably give you a better guidance because not all the content you're going to find on Google is going to be uh, is going to be accurate. Yeah, and I'll say that because I sometimes almost feel uncomfortable having this conversation, although we shouldn't really avoid it because it needs to be had. Yeah, and if you're depressed and stressed, plus then you, you get know? caught by the police, that'll make you feel a lot worse. <laughs> Much yeah, better go to so, your doctor. So you don't know. And if you're going to take an hallucinogenic, I'd probably say um, for some of the nightmare stories that I've also heard mm. is probably if you're going to do it, do it with someone who's around you who you trust, who can actually at least be able to control some of your behaviour um, if, 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 th- if that's the way you want to go um, but again this is, not, this is not a this is not advice, it's just uh, class A drugs, illegal it's just go, a, go to prison it's just a suggestion. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually let you know I haven't got any problem people I, look, I haven't got any problem with people getting against the conformity of society in some ways I quite like it um, because I don't think we should all be conformists but the thing is one thing you've got to do is whatever actions you decide to take well Professor Nutt Professor Nutt he's a, he's a very well known psychiatrist I've met him he's a lovely guy he's a little 
bundle of energy and uh, he used to advertise uh, he used to advise the government on on illicit drugs and in research and he got canned because he started being overly positive about them and he is also heading a lot of the research in in cannabis in psychedelics so this is this is an area of serious uh, uh, medical research well that's because that's because the pharmaceutical industry have a lot of influence on in, in, in funding and things like that that still comes in so and that's where the power is you know you think the government has power you think even the the, the royal family has power well not really it's the people with you know finance the people who are controlling the finances have the people power we don't have accountability of power yeah absolutely so in terms of um oh god i was going back to university in terms, and, and this is the thing about university that I wanted to actually bring up, and people go, not, not even just university, in terms of education as a whole, and we've talked about this in the past before, and it's mainly to do, and it's mainly to do with, they are so looking to avoid putting your kids under pressure that once they get to the stage of further education when they have to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and do the extra and do the extra work to actually get their grades up or, or whatever they don't and now because the scores or their grades now are easier to achieve than they were like 20 30 years ago um, they're then going further into the workplace not being fully trained they're not articulate enough they're not smart enough all they've done is learn a lot of literature which let's face it they don't have to spend hours in the library looking for it they can just google it and find a lot of the information so they're not really stretching themselves and in terms of self-resilience and self-reliance is preparing them for, for the world outside so when they get in the job market you wonder why actually all of a sudden they can't handle the pressure and then they're getting depressed because they haven't been conditioned in some ways and there's there's positive conditioning and there's negative conditioning positive you know negative is to telling people you know conditioning people how to think to fit into in, into the conformity of society and then there's the um positive conditioning which is actually increasing your mental toughness and who's the who's the, what's that youtube link you sent me from S- i told you simon Sun cynic simon cynic mm. um did you actually look at it by the way yeah, i mean he, he he basically says exactly the same things we're saying doesn't he yes mm. Oh, we could be saying the same things he's saying. I don't he's just better known. He is better known, but but yeah, it's not rocket science. Some of the information out there, but we are. But, but they're going into the job market. And, you know, the kids are going into the job market, and they don't actually have the same work ethic because they don't know what it is. And he, the, the thing you he know? does say, in addition to that, about the snowflake in millennials, is, is he also talks about social media. He does talk about social media, but um, in terms of actually, do you want to do you want to cover that? We've 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 covered covered it before, but essentially, social media is 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 uh, it it gives you spikes of dopamine, and therefore it's exceptionally addictive. So w- whatever you get addicted to, you can also get addicted to social media. And once you're addicted, you don't feel you've got any control. And it's been shown that people who use social media to large amounts are also more likely to be depressed. Oh, well, there you go. And, and what's important for people, what's been shown in the Harvard Happiness Study, is happy relationships with your partner and your community. And a lot of that has to do with with spiking your dopamine. Because if you look at uh, your oxytocin, because if you look into someone's eyes, your oxytocin goes up, so your blood pressure goes down and your mental well-being goes up. Do you, do you, know, do you know what the irony here in all this is? Mm. The person who created Facebook, which is the largest social network in the world, was actually a socially inept individual like a Spurgeon yeah who went to who went to Harvard University who dropped out um, 
and created Facebook, probably on the back of the fact that he probably didn't have any friends actually, mm. um, on a, on, or, or a physical connection with any people. So he created a superficial connection, and 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 the world's bought into that. And of course, Aspergian people are socially inept because they they just can't yeah. do it. And what's really interesting, and even Steve Jobs was socially inept, by the way. Yeah. And 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 as, and indeed Elon Musk, same thing. And and what's really interesting is uh, there's there's a there's a professor. Um, called um, let me just have a think Cohen so someone Cohen he's, uh, he's oh, that, 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 that's, that's Googleable he's, he's, he's done um, he's, he's done a lot of research in prenatal testosterone and what he's shown is that people who when they are when they're in the womb and they have higher levels of testosterone that makes you more likely to have autism have you got high levels of testosterone in the womb? Okay, you're going to you're much more likely to have test, uh, autism, and that explains the sex difference in autism. So, for instance, five there's a five to one ratio of men to women with with autism. And here's the other thing: men have obviously higher prenatal testosterone than women. In other words, if you don't have high levels of prenatal testosterone, you're not going to get uh, male genitals. For instance, if you're if you're a male and you've got your XY chromosome, if you don't raise your testosterone in the womb, this must be for the biology students will, at university. You will not get eh? male genitals. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, therefore, is that you require testosterone to masculinize the brain and your body, but if you have too much of it, you can then become autistic. So, so my theory, after reading about it, is that men are at the extreme end of Asperger's and autism. And men are completely different to women. If you if you have a look at kids, and and the research has shown that that little infants, you can predict by their prenatal testosterone exposure whether they will be interested in looking at faces or whether they'll be interested in looking at movements, whether they'll be interested in rough and tumble play. In other words, there is clear biological reasons for the differences between the sexes because a lot of people say that that there's a sociological okay. explanation of learnt behavior all right okay great guys thanks very much and we'll catch you soon we're just running out with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.